Hello and welcome to another episode of What We're Listening To. I'm Asha and with me as always is my good friend and owner of every shoe that has been gazed upon. Josh, how are you doing, man? <laughs> I can't take my eyes off them. <laughs> I know, right? They have to be looked at. Um, it's been another good uh, few weeks for you and Shoegaze, but we'll get to that later probably. Um, <laughs> I have a quiz for you. Um, yeah. In honour of the 40-year reunion of ABBA, um, I just wanted to ask you, I, I went through a few little quiz options and I went, I went for one that's possibly a little bit easier. In 1974, ABBA sung and won Eurovision. Okay. Yeah. What was the song played at that performance? I'll give you four options. Four options. Was it A, Dancing Queen, B, Waterloo, C, Mamma Mia, or D, Gimme, Gimme, Gimme? I'm pretty confident that it's Waterloo. Ding, ding, you are correct. Yes. <laughs> yes. Do you want me to give you the harder quiz? <laughs> yeah, give me, give me the harder quiz. So Benny Anderson, at age 18, was a part of a popular Swedish pop group called oh, no. the Hep Stars. <laughs> okay. What was their unofficial nickname? The Hep Stars? Yeah, they had a nickname based on how popular they were in international sort of like hits. Oh, uh, man. Too hard. Like Benny and the Jets? I don't know. They were known as the Swedish Beatles. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know if you would know that one just because you know a lot of Beatles stuff and you might have yeah. heard about them. But apparently they were quite popular with some, you know, covers and some international hits. And so that was before he joined ABBA, as far as I understand. Yeah. I'm not a huge ABBA fan. <laughs> Me either. But um, I listened to the two tracks that came out the other day and, yeah, they're quite nice. Um, have you seen the video that's come out as well? No, I've seen their costumes. They're talking about like the digital, um, the digital yeah, the, concert they're going to put on. The avatars, as they <laughs> dubbed them. Yeah, yeah, that's a good reaction. I'm quite curious because all of their records, I'm pretty sure, have been number ones. And then well, obviously these... a 40-year a gap is going to make that an interesting thing. Well, I looked last night on YouTube to watch this clip and it was like, oh, this has 8 million views in a day. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. And it's I mean, I don't think they're just running on nostalgia. Like the song sounded quite genuine. Like, well, both songs sounded like they fit within their catalogue. And so it's very interesting. Like they beat Slow Dive on the 20-year reunion, definitely. Just <laughs> doubled that straight away. I'm sure there are other bands who have done this, but I don't know of many. Um. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Like I said, I'm not a huge ABBA fan, but I found it good. It made me listen to <laughs> everything now again. <laughs> I, I, I listened to that song again going, man, that's, this is so much like ABBA. Anyway. I don't want to talk about the new Arcade Fire. Sure. Yeah, yeah, don't they have two or three albums coming out? <laughs> yeah, supposedly produced by Nigel Godric as well, so maybe they'll be better. Who's that? Sorry. He's the long-term producer of Radiohead. Oh, okay. Cool. Nice. So we shall see. Well, do you have any follow-up? 
yeah, I have a couple tiny pieces. I have been listening to um, that Anna B. Savage song you put on. Um, mm. It's still not 100% my cup of tea, but I do like the uh, chord voicings that she uses. It's quite a um, an unusual bag of... Um, Mm. Yeah, I like like those kind of suspended sevens and that kind of stuff. It sounds really nice. The verse mm. is a very different feel than the chorus, and that like yeah. real pause and the drawing out. It's quite cool. Yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah, not a ton. I um, I've heard that uh, as a number of albums that are being made over quarantine. So the Fontaines DC have announced that they're going to have a new record probably early next year, which I'm excited about. Mm. Um, and then very briefly, we were talking about um, the Lemonheads over over a messenger. Because oh, yes. mm-hmm. um, I remembered why I knew their name after editing the episode, which is that they are a big, some would say a one-hit wonder for their cover of Mrs. Robinson, which I didn't know if you'd heard or not. Yeah, I hadn't when you sent it to me. Yeah, it's all over the place. I mean, it, I hear it on the radio like every other week when I'm working, so it's it's all over. Maybe Still. I have heard it, but not known it was the Lemonheads. Yeah. Because maybe. every now and then that song's, you know, you hear a cover of it and you just think it's just a generic cover. Um, because I think the original was very strong. I don't think that the Lemonheads do anything particularly different with it, in my yeah. opinion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a bold move to cover, cover a Simon and Garfunkel song because they, yeah, they put a lot of work into those tunes. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I listened to the Lemonheads cover as well, and I thought it was quite good. Um, and yeah, I, I think I might have heard it somewhere, but it didn't. I didn't know it was the Lemonheads. So, yeah. yeah. Um, do you have any um, catch-up, sir? Yeah. Also, just on Anna B. Savage, um, I finally got round to watching her Tiny Desk. So oh. she had a remote Tiny Desk, obviously, due to COVID and stuff. So yeah. she recorded hers on the... Um, uh, Scotland uh, kind of uh, sea, uh, sorry, what am I trying to say? Coastline? Coastline, that's the word. I live on an island. Anyway, she recorded <laughs> the Scotland coastline and it's a beautiful, very like live, just her and her, you know, detuned acoustic in mm. Dadgad or something. I need to check what tuning she uses because it's fascinating. And she actually does a version of, um, uh, uh, what's the one, When We Broke Up? Uh, and that's oh, okay. when she kind of debuted that song. And so I missed that and then only heard the single. But um, anyway, you should check out that tiny desk. It's quite, quite well done. And I mean, I know that not everyone loves her voice, but I really love it. And I, it's amazing <laughs> to see it live because, you know, you hear a talk and then you hear her sing. And it's a little bit like My Brightest Diamond. She has this very operatic kind of almost otherworldly tone. So, yeah. yeah, it's pretty amazing to see. And I think um, I finally ordered uh, the blue limited edition version of Common Turn. So I'm looking forward to <laughs> hearing that album again. Uh, yeah, I've enjoyed her work this year. And again, looking forward to that EP. So um, <laughs> the other thing is I finally listened to Lead Belly because I didn't do my homework that I gave you. Yeah. Uh, he's great. So much soul. And you're right. Like it's really interesting hearing these, um, like Black Betty and other things, just bare bones voice and like stomping or slapping or clapping or something mm-hmm. like that. And yeah, it is really lovely listening to like kind of archives of people's songs and hearing them 
in a very, very true way, like not much around the sound, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, yeah, that was cool. Gave that a listen. But that's that's all me. Um, Should we head on to our reviews? Yeah, read them. So uh, I have been um, going through the fourth album from a St. Louis band who I'd heard of before, but never actually listened to any of their stuff called Foxing. It's the name of the band. Um, mm-hmm. Their album uh, Drawn Down the Moon recently. And I decided to give this a shot because um, a muso we reviewed earlier this year called Barty's Strange, who I follow on Twitter, wouldn't stop talking about it. So I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. He's an interesting muso. Um, he says it's like the new hot thing, so I'll give it a look. Um, so pretty blind, and I've been pleasantly surprised by this record. I think it's really interesting. It's like a blend of, um, like early two thousands kind of like Flaming Lips, MGMT melodies, but also like a lot of hardcore elements in the background. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> So you get kind of these like extreme mixes of melodic and then the sound will like be pushed to the limit and then it'll be like start distorting and it'll start to be like a little more screaming and yelling. And it's kind of, it's like a, I don't know, it's a weird difference in flow, but I think they match really well together. Um, That first song is a real ride. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I I don't usually put a lot of uh, credence to anything pitchfork says but i did give like a a read of the review and they said it was very um what's the word they said it was their most approachable record which i find kind of astounding because this is very not a generic sound by any means and like i don't know so this album straddles those two kind of hemispheres i think very well it's not like a discord between they're more extreme elements and the more melodic elements. I think they actually marry them quite well. And it's a very mm. interesting record, I think. Yeah. Um, Maybe they say it's approachable just because it does have some of those pop punk elements in it. Yeah, maybe. Like, like it, at times it felt very, yeah, very pop punky and kind of um, a bit more normal. But the other elements, yeah, it could be a bit of a turnoff to some people who aren't prepared for that or don't really dig that sound of screaming or something. Yeah. Um, so generally I was more of a fan of the tracks that went a little harder on the record than kind of the more softer, dancier ones. Um, songs like beacons mm-hmm. or cold blooded, or if I believe in love, it kind of like, I don't know, to, to me in the back of my lizard brain, it gives me similar like vocal performance vibes. It's like a Kurt Cobain where like, if I tried to do that, I think my throat would bleed. And so I really kind of love <laughs> hearing that quality on like a song and hopefully the singer is okay. Um, but I, yeah, that, I love that kind of, um, distorted level of vocalism that comes with these kind of songs. So, yeah. Well, four albums Uh, in, you hope he's got some sort of sustainable plan for the future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you gave it a listen. What'd you, what'd you think about it? Yeah. Like, like I said, um, I chucked it on the other day. It was quite funny because, um, I was just doing stuff with my daughter and I chucked it on and the first part was really cool of 737 and then it like gets very intense very quickly (laughs) and uh, she was like, oh, this is different. Um, So um, I really liked it actually. I then listened to it more fully later on 
And you're right in the whole MGMT more but more angsty kind of thing. Like it did have those vibes. The vocals seemed a bit unhinged at times, like really kind of stressy and stuff like that. But I, yeah, I really liked it. I sent you a message saying one of the one of the songs gave me like um, uh, Matt Berniger vibes. Vibes, sorry. (laughs) I think track seven. At least we found the floor. Um, Yeah. Also, pretty depressing lyrics. (laughs) Yeah, I. I was quite an interesting one. I haven't paid attention to much what this album is about thematically. Um, I just kind of been enjoying the music so far. I don't know about ultimate themes, like overarching themes, but yeah, it was like, at least we found the floor and this guy's like, no, we haven't found the floor yet. You know, this is not how low it can go. It's like, okay. At least that was the reading I I got just from a kind of, uh, just a brush over. But yeah, I quite liked it. I, you were right. I was, I sent you a text saying, I'm about to give this a whirl and you're like, you'll like it. And I agree. I enjoyed it quite a bit and I'll. I'll give this another run through later on. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, sometimes, ironically, I preferred the more hardcore stuff than the more pop punky sort of sound and got a little bit bored when it was a bit more accessible, I suppose. I liked mm. it being quite unhinged at times. So maybe the balance is good, but I was kind of looking forward to those more intense moments. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I Yeah, so... I this is kind of an enjoyable kind of dancey hardcore indie record for the summertime mm. that I've been very enjoying over the couple of weeks. But yeah, it's um, great. I've been enjoying listening to the record of Foxing. Foxing. I like the album art. I like the um, stylizing <laughs> of the name. It's like a wizard. Like it's a yeah. The album cover. I still don't quite get it. <laughs> No, anyway. but I meant I like the the font they've used for DDTM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite clever. It's very stylish. Yeah. Um, how about yourself, sir? What have you been listening to? Um, so a couple of weeks or a couple of episodes back, I talked about an EP by Orla Gartland, uh, an Irish singer-songwriter who I had heard about a long while ago, back in 2012, but had basically forgotten about her until about a few months ago when I heard this new EP that she'd put out. And this has, this was four songs from her new album, Woman on the Internet. Now, Orla Gartland, as I said, is from Ireland. She's a youngish musician, um, and she's a very competent instrumentalist, um, mm-hmm. at least on guitar and most definitely um, as a singer. But I've been listening to this album, and I've been really enjoying it. I have woken up with uh, her song, You're Not Special Babe, for like the 400th time this morning <laughs> uh, in my head. So this this is a good sign that this is a, is a really uh, good album. And we were just talking about how much great Irish music is coming out at the moment. So something must yeah. be happening over there in terms of creativity. Um, so this album, Woman, Woman on the Internet, it kind of has, she's gone for a bit of a um, 1990s, early thousands sort of theme um, in terms of woman on the internet kind of thing. But the sound is not like Soccer Mummy. It's not actually early thousands sound. It's quite still like a modern, um, what do I say, like alternative rock sort of pop sound. Um, it's a very fun record. Um, 
I wondered whether knowing four tracks beforehand would have ruined this a bit for me, but I really enjoyed hearing all the other songs as well. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think that there's not really a bad song in this album. It's a pretty strong release. Um, the last two tracks are a bit softer, but the rest of them are all very distinct. And the fact is that she's spent a long time leading up to doing her first full-length album. So I think she's she's kind of got a lot of strong material ready for this. Mm. Um, opening track was a bit of a surprise um, because it just was a little bit like bare bones. But then I really... So the opening track is the um, things that I've learned. Uh, and she has these great unexpected sort of like non-diatonic riffs and chords every now and then and it's a really good syncopation then it goes into you're not special bay which is excellent um and then she goes into more like you which is my favorite song of the album i kind of love her contrasting voice with the rhythms of the band like all the band sounds on this are really really recorded well it's it's really well done when we get to um Madison, I really feel like this is actually a legit 90s acoustic rock song. Did you, <laughs> did you get that vibe? I mean, I love the song Madison, so maybe. <laughs> it kind of feels like a classic sort of, um, you know, the way it starts with not like there are acoustic songs which are like ballads and this yeah. was like driving sort of like she's almost playing power chords on an acoustic kind of thing. And I, I kind of love that. And then the band comes in later and it's like, it's really good. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, did, I don't know if I have much to say about this in terms of like nitty gritty. I think it's just a great record. It's a lot of fun. Yep. Every song is really strong. And, um, and she does a great job. You say that she sounds a little American for being <laughs> Irish, but then it sneaks in every now and then. Yeah, that's not quite... I'm not going to go that far. I... Um, it was just interesting to me because I was in the hemisphere of listening to John Francis Flynn, <laughs> who is like yeah. hyper Irish singing trad songs with like Celtic voicings. And then yeah. you, you go to this, which is much more modern in both vocal style and musical style. But you're right. Ever yeah. so often, um, I think it's in the third song in particular, like an Irish TH will slip in. I'm like, yeah, okay. It's still there. Yeah. It's quite yeah. funny. Yeah. she She's pretty... Uh, interesting in terms of like, I guess she's also looking for um, a more international market, but you know, I don't want her to sell herself short. Like I love the Irish accent and I kind of love hearing that in, in pop rock kind of alternative mm. stuff as well. It, it's really interesting to me. Um, I, the lyrical content of these, like I kind of, I think they're meant for a younger audience. Um, and occasionally like, I don't quite know what she's getting at, like with zombie. Like I'm kind of, I kind of get the vibe of, of like not keen on like toxic masculinity or something like this, but I'm lost on the metaphor, I think. <laughs> anyway, that was just me. I just found it a bit confusing to understand how that was no, working, but yeah. whatever. Um, she's done, she's done a really good job with this album. Like yeah, she's done so many film clips and, and done all this like work. And so I hope this album does really well. You said it was number three at the moment in Ireland. Uh, that's the last time I checked. Yeah. It's do it's doing really well in the, across the pond. So hopefully yeah. our countries catch up. Uh, it's really good. Did you want to say any more on this album? 
Yeah, I um I found it funny. I joked when I very first listened to it that um she sounds a bit like Kimbra and oh yeah yeah. I think it's <laughs> a little I'm um, um, it's a bit unfair. My association really is that the the percussiveness of her songs are really interesting like Kimbra's are where mm. um it's either like clicks or um vocal hits that sometimes make up a lot of the rhythm behind and that's really interesting um until like the band actually comes in as a whole the the rhythm is really sparse and self-crafted which i find is really interesting um, i think that Orla's used to kind of being by herself um yeah. if you watch some of her early videos she's usually just doing everything herself and so she can carry a lot of it and you know her voice is strong like she has some pipes on her um yeah. and so i think that that yeah, she's trying to translate that into an album band sound a little bit and and think about how much to do and all that. But I get that illustration because if you've ever seen, um, I might put it in the show notes, if you've seen Kimbra's live version of Settle Down um, in the studio, it's something to behold. She is just yeah. amazing. So talented. Yeah. I, I'd look forward to a new album from Kimbra. That'd be great. <laughs> put it back on the radar. Um, yeah. I also thought it was kind of funny. This is completely unrelated, really, but the mm. the the lyrical theme of "You're not special, babe," of like you're an adult now, get up and try, kind of thing, and mm. the the malaise that comes with that. I felt in my brain is kind of like um, "Bittersweet Symphony" by The Verve, like mm. that um, that feeling is one that is now like cross generational of people is like the struggle of day to day. And so I don't know, there's an association that I came up with, but um I just found it funny that people are still writing about that kind of thing because it's still very much a part of people's lives. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that feeling has gone away necessarily. Um no. I think it's yeah, I think it's present through a lot of different yeah demographics and and generations. Um it is an interesting way of toning that message. You know, she's kind of trying to be encouraging. Like, yeah. you know, don't worry. You know, it happens to everyone. But it comes across as like, you're not special, babe. It's quite <laughs> funny. Um, but I think the the devil is in the details. Like, I think when you listen to the lyrics and you kind of get the, the vibe of it, you understand. And I, li- I like that song. It's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Definitely check out Orla Gartland's Woman on the Internet. Yeah, fantastic record. Yeah. Sweet. Let's move on Uh, to homework. Homework time. So I gave Josh one of my favorite jazz piano albums, which, um, which may bring into your mind lots of like, uh, really fast bebop sort of things, but this could be classified as more of like a neoclassical album at some points. Um, it's a lot softer and more ballady at points, but I did want to give a tiny bit of background about this um, just because leading up to this Please. recording is quite interesting. So Keith Jarrett was going to perform in Clone in 1975 or something. He, the Clone Concert Hall had never had jazz performances before they were like doing operas he ordered a piano to be there for the performance 
the concert hall got the wrong piano um, and they couldn't get a new one in time. So they got a tuner to come in and spend several hours tuning it. Um, the instrument itself was tinny and thin and the upper registers and weak in the bass and the pedals didn't work properly. Um, and so Keith Jarrett had to use like techniques while he was recording to make it sound bigger and, and bassier, like rolling in the left hand and that sort of thing. He had to adjust himself. So when he arrived, he did not really want to play this concert. He was like, where's the real piano? And the, his manager was like, it's okay. It's okay. Let, you know, they'll sort it out. The tuner will fix it up. Let's go and have dinner. And they went to get some Italian and then it took so long for the food to come out and he had like two mouthfuls and then had to go back to the concert hall and start at 11.30 p.m. at night because that was after the opera had finished and they'd set up all the gear and he didn't want to play still. And then he was like, well, they've already set up all the recording gear. I might as well play. And the show was sold out at 1,400 people there and they uh, everyone paid about four, four Deutschmarks to be there. However, this became one of Keith Jarrett's Jarrett's most popular recordings Mm. and was acclaimed by critics. Uh, And it's, yeah, it remains one of his most popular recordings and continues to sell well decades after its release. So despite all these obstacles, somehow this album came out to be a beautiful, intimate piano recording. And I was going to ask you this quiz. What... Why do people giggle and laugh a little bit right at the start of this recording? At the start? Yeah. There's a subtle laughter. I mean, I'd only have to guess it has something to do with his caveman noises, but I'm not 100%. <laughs> no, no. That, we'll get to that later. Basically, so he is an improviser, right? This whole album is improvised. Yep. And the opening notes are the bell, which brings people into the concert hall. And so uh-huh. he integrates that into his performance. So what did you think of Keith Jarrett's improvised piece, The Clone Concert? Yeah, I um, I had heard about this before because it is quite a famous Yaz record. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I um, I struggled a little, a little bit to get into it, truth be told. Um, That's fine. It's just, just a personal thing. I find it hard to like pin down how I feel about a song that's like longer than 10 minutes. Um, yeah. And so this is broken down into four parts with the first part being 24 minutes long. And then the second part being separated into three. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, I don't know. It's a lot to get your head around uh, initially, especially when I'm not that proficient with piano in the first place. So like technically I have trouble appreciating it as well. So anyway, um, this is like a giant improvisational piece and that's obviously very impressive. Um, and I think so. So there's a number of very famous jazz records that are improvised, like kind of blue or giant steps. And, um, I think when it comes to those ones, I really appreciate those records because they have a full band improvising together. And so you can kind of like mm-hmm. um, get the feel for like how good the drummer is in the pocket and like how tight the bass is together that mm-hmm. lets the main guy um, carry the melody so much more. And so when you have this piece, it's quite sparse in some ways where it's just him and the piano and there's nothing else. And 
Um, so when you have those like 24 minute pieces, I, I, I find it hard to like delineate which parts I enjoy and where like I start to lose focus, like 15 minutes into it kind of thing. Um, no, that's totally fair. Like I was listening to it again last night and indeed, like there are bits of that first part one that are like really attention grabbing and then are parts where you kind of zone out for a bit. And I'm sure that he knows that that part is also a little bit boring. Maybe he's thinking about the next section and just transitioning and vamping for a little yeah. bit. But yeah. Yeah, for sure. I I do really enjoy the jazz piano. It's probably my favorite uh, lead instrument in any kind of situation. Um, so the the beginning section of part one and the end section, I think, are the most interesting of that portion where they're much more rhythmical and kind of uplifting and there's mm. like a long uh, ballad kind of riff on a couple chords that goes on for maybe 10 minutes in the middle that's a, yep. a little kind of blase for me um, yeah the, he spends about 12 minutes on a minor and g yeah <laughs> at <laughs> so, different speeds as well <laughs> um but i think my favorite part is actually the first section of part two um mm-hmm. the the letter a of the second portion um, yep. which is much more um left hand rhythmically driven um it's kind of it's kind of bluesy where he's doing like the blues piano with his left hand yeah only I know the one. R- really fast and then um he does these like runs that i know are crazy uh just cuz they are so precise without breaking the the key and the melody they're really really good um yeah like crazy fast and accurate just runs up and down the piano and i'm Hmm. sure he's you know um yeah so i think it's it's those kind of elements that i think i would be much more wowed by if i knew how to play the piano more than like a basic amount like i i I started appreciating like the led zeppelin drum solos more the more i knew how to play the drums kind of thing yeah so i think that's that's very fair yeah, so my listening's a bit disorganized, but I think it is quite an impressive piece. I don't know, maybe I would prefer it if the the first section was broken down like the second one was into different sections. I don't know. Like, mm. I'm not sure why those are different from each other. Um, yeah, I'm not sure either. I, I should have read a little bit more on about that. To be honest, the first section for me is the one that I usually listen to. I love that Um kind of I have a better picture in my mind of that one and I think part of the reason I really like it is because I can kind of hear him thinking and composing as he goes I think that's what I like about the solo piano is that you can kind of hear him take an idea at one point and then develop it and change it and you can kind of see the music happening in live real time um, Mm. in a way that like a jazz band because there's four members sometimes there's so much happening and it's probably a little bit too fast for maybe my brain like i <laughs> i work a bit slower and so you know um i don't know i i, I totally agree though that the part b um the second three that's so the like part two a b and c are a lot mm. more kind of there's a lot more movement and all that sort of thing when I first heard this, I didn't know it was improvised as well. So I yeah. I was just like, this is a, I thought this is beautiful, really. And then someone was like, oh, and he's just improvising. And I was blown away. Now, I don't know a lot of other Keith Jarrett's work. Um, 
I'm more interested in this because I suppose it's a it's it's a different kind of jazz. Like I was mm. playing it last night again to my wife and she said, this is not really what I pictured jazz to be. Yeah. And I guess that's an interesting, you know, etymology, you know, what is jazz kind of thing. Um, you can you can hear some more traditional runs in his his right hand stuff that are like a bit more jazzy and using those certain notes and things like that. I'm not a jazz player so much, so um, but I have seen the score of this. Someone transpo transcribe um, it, <laughs> and uh, it's pretty crazy. There are some very very tricky runs. You know, it's basically like fit these twenty one notes into these two beats somehow. Yeah, you know it. I did see that there are versions of other people playing this concert, which I find to be oh, really? quite silly. Yeah, yeah. Like people have like done their own performances of this piece. And like, I think it like defeat the whole point of what the piece actually is to some degree. Yeah. I mean, I just write your own music, just improvise for 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Just, just do what he did. Improvise, you know, yeah. a quote unquote masterpiece in 40 minutes on your own. I just love that it's kind of like, I love that live, mo- you know, time because there are parts of this, this um, performance, which I don't think are very strong. And I think mm. that's cool because like it is improvised. It's, it's kind of creating art just from not nothing because obviously he has phrases and ideas that jumble around in his head, but there's something really beautiful about capturing this specific moment and it not being repeatable. So yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's interesting because I, I have played a, a fair amount of jazz when I was younger and a, a lot of um, kind of short solos are usually referential in some form like the um at least at least when you're like learning is like oh you're playing a saxophone solo maybe i'll take a piece of you know coltrane and whack Mm. it in there as like a reference but this is completely um his own brain his own um improvisation and so it kind of yeah i think that's why it feels a bit different because he's not he is doing jazz but he's more using that as like a a baseline not as in a double baseline but is in like mm. a concrete floor which he's building this rather yeah. abstract thing on top of instead yeah 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 anyway, anyway so yeah an interesting but unorganized listen for me at least no no i i realize i'm sometimes a little unfair giving you massive <laughs> instrumental works i guess this has been such an influential album for me i did want to share that i thought that you would enjoy some parts of it because you do enjoy jazz and we've talked about jazz yeah. but yeah it is a bit of a more it's not the most jazzy jazz record <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway yeah thanks for giving a listen it's a pretty tricky one but i hope the listeners enjoy this because it's it's beautiful our playlist is going to be long again if you choose yeah. some of these it's certainly <laughs> choose, th- choose three tracks from this joshua and you've got most of the album <laughs> Uh, Do you want to tell people about what you gave me for homework? Sure thing. So after last episode, I got the vibe that you were feeling a little bit 90s. So Mm -hmm. I decided it was time to brush off something that's been on the Asher list for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Um, So I gave uh, Asher the debut album from 1998 from the British indie band Gomez called Bring It On. Um, Mm -hmm. 
So first off, I want to say a big thank you to a mutual friend of ours named Johnny Robinson, uh-huh. um, who we know through very different means for showing me the band Gomez when I was about 10 years old, uh, uh-huh. when we were hanging out at his house that I could barely remember. Um, but this album is a very odd mix of like American blues roots kind of music and then like British nineties kind of sound production yes, and then some yeah. very different vocal performances from the three singers in the band. Um, and much like the art of the cover, this album's kind of angular and weird in some places. And I think people either really like this album or think it's kind of bleh, but at the time it came out, people were really excited. This beat, um, the Verve's Urban Hymns with the British Street Symphony and that kind of stuff on a bunch of awards in the year. So people were really hyped about this album. Anyway, what did you think about Bring It On, Asher? Um, I think I'm probably in the more mixed camp um, yeah. of appreciating this album. You might have guessed that, but that's that's okay. I still I still found it really interesting to listen to. I must confess, out of I didn't know there were three singers. I I knew there were at least two. Um, and I knew I didn't really like the growly, bluesy singer. <laughs> is it just me or does it sometimes feel a little contrived? Like, I don't know. It's really tricky that there's a tricky line between like putting it on and actually being it. Mm. And and so like they're, they're drawing on sounds from like the deep south of the US, right? in these bluesy sort of sounds and they're doing it from an English context, which is bold because that's not often where you find deep South blues music. Um, (laughs) And you're right in that the production being English was a bit confusing at times. Like I was kind of, yeah, some of the songs, um, like I like the sing things like tier one and lady I really mm. like the band sound, but they're not the vocal sound, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, so I'll give you an idea of the songs I liked. I really like 78 Stone Wobble, Ree's Wagon, and Tijuana Lady. So I kind of liked that Ree's Wagon was cool because it was like long and lots of interesting sorts of solos and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah the... 78 Stone Wobble, even though it's got that deep South England combo, um, I still really liked that. I thought that was really cool. I I guess I found, so when I listened to this, I didn't actually know it was from 1998. I thought, ah, oh, this is like that, it feels like the John Butler era sort of um, <laughs> resurgence. And then I thought, oh, wow, this is actually a lot earlier than that. And um, Australia does some of this kind of music. Um, there are bands that kind of imitate this sort of sound and I don't always love them. I'm not sure what it is mm. about this kind of like raggedy sort of blues. Like I, I kind of enjoy playing it more than I enjoy listening to it, if that makes sense. Mm. No, no, like, that makes sense. My mate, like my mate Maddie and I used to play in a band with another um, girl and we played a lot of bluesy kind of folk music and it's a lot of fun to play. When I put it on, I'm just, maybe it's just now I've kind of like not found it as interesting anymore as I once did or something like this. And so I found it hard to like get into the vocals in particular. I I like the sound of the acoustic guitars. I like the, 
um, the band sound and that sort of thing. But some of it I find like a little bit, a little bit silly, like love is better than a warm trombone. Um, <laughs> I like get myself arrested. That was cool. Yeah, it it really did feel like a bit of a mishmash. Like I'm really struggling to hold the big picture in my head. I just kind of have all these different sounds and the swapping of the singers and the mm. the different sorts of instrumentation and, and genres. And I look, I also like that kind of thing. I like an album being interesting and different, but I didn't always like every interesting and different sound, if that makes sense. Yeah, not for sure. It, I... Yeah. Um... I don't think I'm yep. good enough to understand this. Like, I don't quite think that I have enough experience <laughs> in the blues or like what enough taste mean? for this kind of thing to really get it. Um, but I can understand why this is really, like, really outstanding and got a lot of attention because in 1998, this is pretty raw and pretty different from what was going yes. on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of one of the main things. I, um, this, this kind of sound quality Gomez didn't really keep a lot. They, um, their first two albums are much more bluesy and then they kind of evolved into more of the alternative kind of pop rock with the like acoustic kind of sound quality still there. Um, mm. this, this isn't my favorite of their records, but I thought it was kind of a good place to start. Uh, yeah, I'm, su- I'm surprised you just like the Ben singing so much, but I mean, it's not for everybody. Um, sorry. No, it, it's definitely, um, he's definitely not putting it on. That, that That's kind of how I feel about um, the lead singer of Pearl Jam a lot of the time, Eddie Vedder, where it's like, is right, this like yeah. real? Can you just like not say M's and N's properly? Or is this how you are? And um, I don't know, like over, I've listened to all of Gomez's records and it's very consistent that this is how he sings. And so I think it's... Sure. Um, that's fine. But yeah, I mean, yeah, this isn't, um, not all the songs in this album I would say I love either. Mm. Um, but it's kind of an interesting place to start with the band Gomez, I think. Yeah. I, I just think that, um, yeah, it's not that I like, I just think that different vocal sounds gel with people and, or don't kind of thing. And so, yeah, yeah, I don't want to, don't want to be too mean. Um, but it was a very interesting (laughs) listen. It was it was really fascinating. It was not what I expected at all from Gomez. I think I'd heard some of their later stuff um, yeah. and didn't expect it to be so bluesy. So, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's really hard to nail down. Maybe, maybe in a similar way to um, Keith Jarrett, it's kind of hard <laughs> to, to kind of understand how to place this album. Mm. I'm glad I've heard it, though, like, and I... Yeah, I was reading up a little bit on how popular 78 Stone Wobble was. And yeah, some of those song names are very silly. <laughs> but it is clever. It it is quite clever. I need to give it a little bit more of a like go through. But yeah. I I did enjoy the latter half of the album, I think. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've been quite sad cuz Gomez haven't released a record in 10 years now. Um oh, it's been right. a little while. Yeah. They've kind of started doing other things. Um, Anyway, Gomez, I miss you. Make another album, please. Yeah. Thanks for giving that to me. It's cool. Cross it off the list. All right. Different. Interesting. Our will mention this time. Yep. Let's do that. 
An interesting contender for this uh, episode's review was a woman named Laura Stevenson. So um, her album, her self-titled album, sidetracked me for about a week. Um, Maybe, you know, derailing my main review slightly, but I I got back (laughs) on the horse. Um, So this kind of dropped on Bandcamp and I saw Bandcamp actually promote it. And so I thought I really like the cover looked really interesting to me. I like the art style. And so I checked this album out and boy, oh boy, this is a really interesting album. Um, Laura Stevenson is kind of this, this early thousands vibe is infecting a lot of people. Um, although this one is a bit more country, I think her vocal style. Um, I'm going to chuck some songs on the playlist. This album is quite good. Uh, there are some songs on here, which are stunning. It sags a little bit in the middle, but it's quite beautiful. Um, did you listen to it at all? I sent it to you, but didn't expect it. Uh, I gave it a brief once over, but I don't remember much of it. Sorry. You said that the sound didn't match the album cover. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the opening song is like really intense and dark and the album cover is like bright and colourful and stuff. So it does change a little bit. But anyway, so I was listening to Laura Stevenson. It's really good. Um, uh, Sun Lux has released a little Tomorrow's Reworks, which is like some remixes of their songs. Um, I don't love every remix, but some of them are pretty cool. Yeah. Friendship Global, which is uh, a thing which Bier is involved in, have released a song called You and I, which is really nice. I'll chuck that on the on the playlist. Yeah. And um, there's a new EP out from uh, a Discord server I'm part of called The Odd Church, and it's called The Odd Odd God Lord Volume 1. Basically, the batty worship songs with crazy MIDI prog beats. So, um, check that out. I'll put some tracks on the playlist. Anyway, it's, it's such a such an insane project. <laughs> yeah, it's batty. So, uh, it's headed up by Jay Tholen, who is a game dev but also a musician, and he is self uh, self confessed like prog enthusiast, but doesn't actually have a real band, and so he does everything kind of MIDI. Um, slash also just uh, digital instruments and and it's very interesting to listen to um, <laughs> to say the very least so I'll, I'll put some on that um, I'm going to say some of the other things because I think you're going to talk about another one that I've been listening to but what are your honourable mentions? Well I think I hit it first then because we need to sound the beer alarm again yeah ding 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 ding, 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 ding. Um, our favourite Adelaidean Adelaideite? I don't quite know. I don't know the um, name of someone from Adelaide. <laughs> uh, he's uh, redone uh, a version of a song from his self-titled album, a song called The Hymn. Um, mm. This is one of my favorites from his first record. It's such a, a beautiful piece. So I was really excited to see that he has done a new version of it. Um, so like new instrumentation, uh, new strings, much cleaner, cleaner studio recording. Mm. Um, I don't know. To me, like you can get a really clear picture that he has evolved as a musician to be mm. able to put these pieces together this way. So I, yeah, it's a brilliant revision. Um, yeah. I really love it. Um, the sound quality, the, like the intimacy of hearing like the piano hammers and the pedals. 
Yeah. And then like the drums in the second section when they come in. Oh, it's so good. I it was really um when he kind of put out the cover art and I was like I um contacted him over social media and was like, is this a part two? And he said, No, it's a revision. And uh he has said in social media that he always felt a little bit discontent with the original, that mm. it was written so quickly and recorded so kind of in such a way that he felt like it didn't quite convey the full uh, meaning of the song. And this song has mm. been quite popular. It's uh, been on Grey's Anatomy. And yeah, that's right. it's, yeah. Interestingly, this is my least favourite song on his self-titled. Um, oh, come on. <laughs> it's never grabbed me. I just, I feel a bit mean, but like it's, it's the one song that I always feel is a little bit of a letdown on that album. <sighs> this has redeemed it a lot more for me. Because you take that back. No, I'm not going to take it back. Five <laughs> Falls a better song. That's in my opinion. Um, but this this rework is very good. And Frank Henry, who I chatted about last episode, uh, does the strings on it and does a fantastic job. So, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Check out Him Lifted. I think it's uh, Him yeah. Lifted. Him Lifted. I, I don't know why I'm not allowed to purchase this song anywhere. Otherwise, I would. <laughs> Yeah, but also this is my second official request uh, to Pierre to be able to purchase any of his music on vinyl. It would make me a very happy person if that was possible. That's all yep. I'm going to Second. say. Again. Seconded. <laughs> at least self-titled at, at you know, I, in an ideal world, both full releases. Come on, man. <sighs> yeah, those royalties from him and, you know, and from uh, Grey's Anatomy should be fine. Do a Kickstarter. We don't mind. Just do it. We'll pay for it, I swear. Peer, um, peer pressure. Yes. Uh, I've, again, been a bad boy, and this is another Shoegaze record. Um, it's rare that a Shoegaze release gets talked about in the wider musical sphere. Um, mm-hmm. So I was surprised to see other people talking about this record. Um, but it's the latest release from a band called Deaf Haven. Mm-hmm. And the record's called Infinite Granite. And um, it's more on the intense side of the spectrum for uh, shoegaze music. But I really enjoy this release. It's got some very beautiful moments and layers to it. Um, mm. A couple songs in particular, I think, are really, really, really beautiful. Yeah. Um, I had it on the list, but I didn't get to listen to it yet. Um, I will check out the tracks you put in the playlist, though. So. Yeah, I'll I'll put some in there. It sounds good. Um, well, and even then Melon re- reviewed it, so you know it's gotten some publicity. I was surprised by that. Even if he <laughs> did give it a bad review, um, well, he gives a lot of things a bad review. <laughs> uh, and then um, probably because of the hardcore elements of Foxing, I've been going over an old record that I haven't listened to in a while um, by a band called Bear vs Shark. This is an album called Terror Hawk. Um, yeah, this is like I've heard of this before, but I don't know them. Yeah, it's an old kind of uh hardcore punk, like extreme emo record from the mid 2000s that I've loved for a very long time, but I just kind of haven't really listened to it. And so I've been going through and digging through that again. It's a lot rawer than the Foxing album, obviously, because it's just straight hardcore music. Um, yeah, and then uh, lastly. But not leastly, um, is a Australian piano player. Um, this is also, I think, kind of because of Keith Jarrett, 
mm-hmm. um, a solo piano player by the name of Josh Cohen, uh, who, uh, so this is like a, a solo piano uh, cover album of Radiohead songs. Um, and they're oh, quite beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and it's even garnered the approval of the band as a production. So this guy has like official um, piano booklets you can buy of his stuff, which is his compositions of these Radiohead songs in book form. And he's allowed to perform it live and that kind of stuff. So um, nice. I, I used to use it to study too. And I kind of said I've forgotten about it till now, but it's quite a beautiful um, composition. Like they're not just like one-to-one, like he does a lot of stuff with it. And it's very, I don't know. It's up my alley. That's what I'll say. It's a, you know, Radiohead piano cover album. It's two hours long. So of course, you know, I'm going to enjoy it, but um, it's quite beautiful. That's verging on what I enjoy, Josh, you know, long, (laughs) soft piano driven albums. What's happening? Uh, Yeah. The radio ticket is the pull. Yes. 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 Um, But yeah, that's all my honorable mentions. Nice. I think that's a wrap. Do you want to lead us out? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to episode 34 of what <laughs> we've been listening to. Um, once again, it is always our pleasure to record together and talk about music. Uh, if you want to find out more, you can head over to our website or find our social media pages and hit us up. Tell us what you liked, what you didn't like. Maybe if you listen to some of these things and found some new music for the first time. And if you are so generous... You can give us a rating or review on the almighty iTunes, which will push us up farther in the eyes of the algorithm and just make us, you know, bazillionaires like Jeff Bezos so we can also become supervillains and control the world. Yeah, Um, go to space or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So once again, thank you. We shall see you next time. Always a pleasure. See you, Asher. See you, man. (laughs) 